It's a Hanukkah Christmas warm spell. This is way over our heads. A weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Jim, tell them where we are. We are, believe it or not, someplace we haven't been since, I think, late October on the banks of Minnehaha Creek in South Minneapolis. We're just enjoying this wonderful weather. Yeah, we are devoted, aren't we? We are outside recording. And uh, what's the date today? Uh, today's date is the 22nd of December. How many podcasts do you think other folks are listening to that are recording outside in the middle of winter? Kenny, I think we are unique. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I feel it's great to be out here. Isn't it nice? It's it just a, energizes you. Fantastic day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so for those who, for some reason, did not get outside this weekend in Minnesota, <laughs> we had two mild and in many cases, sunny days, temperatures in southern and central Minnesota in the 40s both days, and uh, mid and upper 40s, and even in you know some at least suspicious 50-degree readings out in southwestern Minnesota. So a uh, nice, warm, early winter weekend right before the big holidays. Well, we should point out, too, that Minnehaha Creek has yet to freeze over. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's nowhere near. In fact, <laughs> astute listeners can uh, hear it in the background yes. beneath the plains, of course. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> beneath the hum of the plains. Yeah, you know, I think people will be happy to know this is not one of these uh, mild spells that's going to be followed immediately by a cold outbreak. Yeah, we might get one in a couple weeks, but that's uncertain, and there's nothing, no smoking gun for really cold air anywhere in the next 10 days. Wow. What about precip? Yeah, it's a dry period right now. We've actually, as, as phenomenally wet as this year has been, we've actually dried out quite a bit in uh, November and now December. Uh, not the entire state, but, you know, especially those southern areas that are accustomed to a bit more precipitation, uh, running a bit below normal for precipitation this month and for, again, in many places for November also. Um it's, uh, we don't see much, you know, maybe Christmas Day, the 25th, and maybe Boxing Day, tw the 26th, some uh, light precipitation, and uh, especially central and northern Minnesota, there doesn't look like any major winter storm. The next kind of, oh, the, the next system worth watching would be the following weekend, so the, the 28th, 29th. We got our eye on a system that might come out of uh, southern plains and bring a lot of moisture with it, but... Um, the models have not handled that at all. It's kind of all over the place. So I would say it's going to not be quite as warm uh, for the, the majority of this week as it was this weekend, but it's going to be mild. It's still warmer than normal. Uh, temperatures are going to be in the 20s in northern Minnesota, the 30s in southern Minnesota during the day, and uh, only down into the 20s and teens overnight. Well, given this warm weather, are we looking at the prospect of a brown Christmas in parts of Minnesota? Well, we had our two warmest days, and we really didn't shed that much snow. Okay. And, you know, the, the physics of snow melt are really interesting. One, you, you need sunlight, which we got, but this is the weakest sunlight of the entire year. We just, you know, right at the solstice here. Right. Happy winter, officially. Yes, now. yes. And, and, uh, and so that doesn't aid in the snow melt. This is also... Unlike last winter, this snowpack in central Minnesota, in the Twin Cities area, and especially in northern Minnesota, where it's bigger, has a lot of moisture in it. It was not; these were not dry, fluffy snows. These were heavy, wet snows, and so there's there's just more mass in that snowpack, and that's there's more water in there, and so it takes more energy to 
turn those ice crystals into water, whether you're whether you're melting it directly or you're going through that sublimation where you skip right over the liquid state and, and bring it into the gas state. Uh, both of those require more energy to melt snow when the, that snow has a high water content in it. So all this is to say, you know, we had our two warmest days of the week already and it's only two and a half more mornings between now and Christmas morning, which is the observation at the airport will be made officially in the morning on Christmas Day, and that will determine our snow cover. And I do not believe that we will have uh, melted all of this snow by then. We might be down to an inch, and it's starting to look kind of slushy, gray, and brown in places, but I don't think it'll be a brown Christmas. This was our big chance. Got it. Now, are brown Christmases all that uncommon? In Minnesota? Well, certainly in far northern Minnesota, they're very rare. Even as the climate has changed, uh, they have gone from, you know, almost never happening in the International Falls area to, you know, now it's happened once or twice in, you know, the Iron Range. Uh, the area up in the Superior Uplands, you, you know, Isabella, the, kind of the snow capital of Minnesota, running right along the highlands uh, just off of that ridge, kind of northwest of Lake Superior, that area that averages well over 100 inches of snow per year, they may have had one brown Christmas, probably in the 1990s, possibly another candidate in the 2000s, but uh, they're very uncommon. In southern Minnesota, much more common. Twin Cities area, on average, even before we started getting kind of weird with our winters, uh, about one out of four uh, Christmases was brown here in the Twin Cities and obviously towards I-90 in southern Minnesota, uh, they're slightly more common, maybe even one out of three. When we talk about precipitation patterns, we've talked a lot about more intense rainfall. And uh, are we seeing the same thing with regard to snow? Yeah, we are. That's a great question. You know, the way that this works is not necessarily straightforward either because there's, you have more moisture in the atmosphere because the warmer global temperatures have removed water out of the oceans and put some of that water into the atmosphere. So there's more moisture in the atmosphere, but this is part of kind of a global water balance. And then uh, it's the passing weather systems can access some of that additional moisture. So we don't see it every time it rains, and it's not that every rain or every precipitation event is bigger than the last one. It's just that over time, there's just more available precipitation or precipitable water. So there's the potential for more precipitation when it comes out of the atmosphere. And we are seeing this in all seasons. In fact, depending on how you squint at it, it might actually be a stronger effect in the wintertime uh, because winter has atmospheric physics on its side. You just can't, the atmosphere can't contain as much water. It's just limited by how much water can be in there. And so it can reach that uh, saturation point more easily uh, at lower, at low temperatures. And even, you know, when you consider the way that winter is warm, that doesn't really change that physical relationship all that much. So with more moisture in the wintertime, everywhere in Minnesota, if they're not seeing the, uh, heaviest annual seasonal snow totals on record because that distinction still belongs to the 1980s and probably will for some time. But across Minnesota, we're seeing stations that are at their all-time peak for the number of heavy snowfall events, so days where you get four inches of snow or more. And on average, 
the maximum annual snowfall is also increasing. Again, that's on average. So it doesn't mean that every year the heaviest snow of the year is bigger than the year before. It just means that on average those numbers are inching upwards. And we're seeing that in Duluth. We're seeing it in Thief River Falls. We're seeing it in Marshall for sure. We're seeing it in uh, the Twin Cities and we're seeing it in Rochester. So that's been an interesting, yes, I would say a little bit more snow, uh, even though we're melting the snow more uh, readily during the winter also. Well, segueing a bit here, Kenny, in your day job, you do an extensive amount of traveling throughout Minnesota, talking to people about climate issues. And I saw you quoted in the Minnesota Daily, the University of Minnesota's newspaper, last month, November, along with some University of Minnesota faculty members who are talking about the challenges of communicating about climate change, particularly putting it into, a, I guess, a form where people can understand how it's impacting their local communities without necessarily inundating them with scientific jargon. Right. Tell us about that challenge. That can't be easy. It's fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks. I, it's, not, it's not easy, but it's also... I think some scientists who are maybe even better scientists than I am um, have maybe got us off on the wrong foot by by leading with facts always and then just hoping that everybody was along for the ride. And I think what, what great communicators like Mark Seeley have found out is that you can actually have these conversations as long as you keep it about people's experiences. and. So one of the things I've found, and I, you know, it's it's certainly not for everyone, but what I have found is if you if you, if a organization or a community invites you to talk about the tricky topic of climate change, uh, you kind of have to read the room. You really have to read the room, and you have to understand that you're about to talk about something that might be a bit of a political trigger for some of the folks in the room, and you have to decide how it is you want to talk about it. Now, these are people who have as much and in some cases more at stake than, than anyone else in the state. And so uh, you don't want to miss the opportunity to provide them with information that can help them make good decisions and better decisions about, you know, where they live or how they work, uh, the resources that they protect or manage. So we've tried to make it, you know, in my job, I try and make it as much about just what we've seen with our eyes and then how the data match up with what we've seen. So we've got, a, you know, a, a pretty compelling story that the data show us about what's going on with winter. I mean, just massive warming, kind of a shortening of the season, uh, decreased severity of the season, uh, fewer cold extremes, and then also, you know, more snow, but more time for that snow to melt. And then we also can talk about, you know, and even as that's happened, sure, we've still been blasted by cold air. We've still had blizzards and, and cold air outbreaks, but those cold air outbreaks just don't pack the punch that they used to pack. And when we, when we talk about, you know, the, the data, it's easy to forget that people also experience this. And right. so if you've got a bunch of farmers who are, you know, working outside or they know, they generally know when they can start and stop their field work, they can often just look at their own personal histories and kind of do the same sort of reconstruction. And so when I ask people in a room if, you know, have you seen this? Have you noticed that the, you know, even when we get a lot of snow, it tends to melt more or we're having, uh, 
you know, more freeze and thaw kind of handoffs or it just isn't as cold as it was when you were a kid or it's not as cold as your parents and grandparents used to tell you about. A lot of times they'll just nod along and they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll say, oh, you know, I never knew that that's what you meant when you talked about climate change. Well, yeah, that's actually our main symptom here. Uh, so, I don't know, I try and keep it simple for people. And, you know, I do show a lot of data, but I try and make the, the data and the graphics visually engaging. And I try and tie it to something that might be meaningful for that audience. That's my strategy. Again, it's not for everyone. I don't know if you had any uh, sort of discussions about this yourself. You, you where... know, I have. And one thing that I see happening quite often is people not understanding the fundamental difference between quote unquote, it, this is audio, so air quotes here, yeah. the weather and quote unquote, the climate. Yeah. Do you find that as well? And, and that what I see when that happens is we could be talking about, for example, you know, uh, global warming in the context of climate change. And someone says, well, for the last week, you know, our summer yeah. temperatures have been below normal. So, so much for that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Do that you has, see that happening? That is a problem, but it, it's a problem that actually cuts both ways. And so, you know, for each skeptic, um, actually, there's probably the skeptics, I'd say, are outnumbered. People who are sort of skeptical about the changing climate, they're outnumbered. Well, we could go into a whole conversation about this. But for each one of them, there's one or two people who are kind of using that same tactic that you just described the other way. So they think that a hot day or a heat wave is also proof that the climate is changing. And one of the points that we try and make, or I try and make it, you have to be, it's subtle, and you have to really pay close attention, is that we've always had hots, and we've always had colds, and we've always swung from wet to dry, you know, in these sort of multi-year, I wouldn't call them cycles, but we, you know, we go through wet periods, and we go through dry periods, and we go through periods where it's kind of blasé. But we can detect systematic changes over time in the behavior, even of those extremes. So what I said before, you know, our, even our colds just aren't generally as cold as they used to be. What we think of as cold now used to be pretty common. What we used to think of as really cold doesn't happen very much, if at all, anymore. And, uh, and so we can detect that. But even as we've had these trends, we still have ups and downs, whether we're talking about wetness or heat, um, we still have ups and downs relative to those trend lines. And I think it's important for all of us, and even climatologists are sort of guilty of forgetting which one was weather and which one was climate. You know, there's sort of a generic definition of climate. It's the long-term behavior of weather patterns over months and seasons and years and decades and millennia, and over large areas too. But, you know, the National Weather Service, at the end of every day, publishes a climate summary for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Which may confuse people a bit. Yeah, right. So, okay, so you're saying that the day-to-day -day weather is weather, but you just called today's weather the climate. Right. And it's because today's weather kind of fits into the larger story of the climate. And the handoff between the two is subtle, you know. If it's just really hot one day, that's definitely weather. If you have a lot of hot days, then maybe that summer you're describing uh, a larger weather pattern that influences the climatic record of that year. And then if you get enough years like that, now you're starting to have a signal in the climatic record. 
Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's a great question, Jim. Uh, and communicating it, I think, you know, one of the pieces is you don't try and make everyone into climate scientists. You just try and get them enough information that they can have a good conversation and make a good decision about it. I, I like to joke that if I can help you win your next argument, <laughs> then uh, that's great. Because those are, it's you know, a lot of people come to me with questions about that. How do I talk to my uncle? Yeah. How everyone's got that uncle too. It doesn't matter the topic. <laughs> right, right. You, you might be talking about sports or politics. You might be talking about the climate. You might be talking about what to do with your house. Right. Everyone seems to have that uncle. Well, and given that this is the holiday season, we'll probably be having yeah. some of those conversations around dining tables yes, throughout Minnesota over the next few I, days. I fear there, there's always some crying around the Christmas tree as right. people talk about these issues. <laughs> well, we are approaching the end of 2019. Yeah. It's been quite a year from a weather standpoint and a climate standpoint. Correct. Um, so... I understand that the DNR, Department of Natural Resources, on its climate page is looking for people to comment about what they feel are the major weather events of 2019. Yes. So if you go to the uh, State Climatology Office, Minnesota State Climatology Office Facebook page, you can just follow it or like it. Um, there's actually an open solicitation for votes for, I think there are 16 events that have been sort of nominated for the, they're in the running for being in the top five events of 2019. I'm not going to rattle them all off right now, but they include the very wet year. They include the very snowy February. They include the extreme cold outbreak uh, that prompted, you know, requests to use less fuel, oil and heating homes and shut down school for several days. Uh, they include the blizzard that had the St. Cloud State hockey team staying in the Watanwan County Jail. That's right. Forgot and about that people, one. People, you know, rescued from the interstates. We had a lot of events. There was some heavy rain thrown in there. There was an extraordinary day of heat during uh, during July. So there's a lot. So if you go to the uh, Minnesota State Climatology Office Facebook page, you can actually interact with this uh, this sort of open question of what do you vote for as the top events for. Uh, 2019, and I, I happen to know the person who is collating all of these, and he's he's very excited to get as many <laughs> responses as possible. And we've gotten uh, quite a few this year. This has been one of the more active years in terms of participation. So excellent. So yes, go ahead. Uh, I believe the polls will be open for a few more days yet. Okay. So. And when will the top weather events be officially posted? Um, he usually posts them right before the new year or okay. just after it. They're okay. usually up though, um, you know, pretty quickly. And sure. they've all been summarized already. So it's just a matter of deciding what's number one. And so what do you think? What do you think of as the biggest event? I, well, I've got to think about that. I mean, I, um, I think the big story is the precipitation. Sure. And uh, we are still on track, aren't we, to have the wettest year on record? It looks like an all but guarantee. Okay. Yeah. okay. It looks like it's the wettest year on record. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with that. And yeah. you know what? Next week when we get together and record, we should talk about, uh, well, maybe just kind of recap the year. The year, the year, the year in, in review. review. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, let's do that because uh, they don't all come like this, Jim. Right. They don't. I mean, you know, if we had started this podcast... In 2014, at the end of 2014, it was kind of, if we had started, we would have had one really exciting month, and then the, the winter just kind of fell apart. And 2015, what do you remember from that? 
Uh, pretty much nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, there were some, yeah. yeah, right. And so they're not all like this. Yeah, not all memorable. Yeah. Uh, kind of going back through my memory, because I seem to catalog this kind of thing pretty well, uh, at least in the last few decades, uh, only 1983, 84, 98, and 2001 really kind of stand with, I suppose you could also throw in 1997. These are other years where we had a lot of diversity in the climate or in the weather, a lot of different types of weather events. You know, you had snow, you had floods, you had heavy rain, you had severe weather. We, we had all of that this year. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a big year. So, yeah, let's recap it. Uh, Excellent. Let's recap Excellent. it next week. We'll do this. Sounds good. Well, Kenny, uh, in a nutshell, what can we expect over the holidays? Mild weather. Uh, you know, in northern Minnesota, Northern and central Minnesota probably going to see some late Christmas Day and and Boxing Day precipitation, and I can't even tell you what kind it's going to be. It could it right. could very well be uh, light rain mixed in with the snow. We don't look like we're going to get anything big. Doesn't look like any major winter storms, but you know, rain on top of a snowpack is no uh, that's no picnic. So it could be a little bit slippery out there, but. Uh, for the rest of us, it's going to be mild all week. Temperatures in the 30s in the south, 20s up north, teens and 20s overnight, way above normal, even though it's cooler than this weekend. And then as we get into next weekend, we'll have to take a look and see if there's a bigger system coming. And if it looks like there is, then maybe we record a couple days early. All right. Sounds like a plan. This is Way Over Our Heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. We're on the shores of uh, Minnehaha Creek in South Minneapolis on this beautiful late December day. And uh, Kenny, uh, happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas to all. Yes, happy holidays. And to and all a good uh, night. <laughs> correct. And yeah, enjoy, enjoy for a lot of people. It's a couple days off work, so enjoy and uh, enjoy the weather. We'll see you next week.